This episode is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. So, I mean, doesn't get any cheaper than that. Second, there are creation tools that will allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. I'm editing this podcast from a Chromebook using the web, so it's pretty easy to do. Um, If I can do it, you can certainly do it. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more services. So you don't have to go to each individual podcast service and distribute it yourself. It automatically does that for you. So that's pretty awesome. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So, I mean, it's a pretty good way to make some money. Um, And then last but not least, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app for iOS or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started or download the app for iOS or Android today. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cells and Circuits podcast. I am your host, Chibeze Hanakor, and today we're going to be talking about the rise of non-comedic adult animation, PS5 versus Xbox Series X, and this is part one of a multiple part series because there's going to be more information coming out later on in the year. And then after that, we'll talk about animation's role in the streaming wars. And for this episode, I have a special guest with me. It is my dear friend, Michael Crusoe, who actually hosts his own podcast, which I'll link in the show notes. So without further ado, Mike, could you introduce yourself? What's up, everybody? My name is Michael Crusoe, a.k.a. Mr. Pericaleo. I am the Public Relations Director for the Lunchbox Publications. And basically what the Lunchbox Publications covers is really a little bit of everything. It's all entertainment, whether it be video games, movies, TV, anime, your manga, even board games and things of that nature. But we try to cover all things entertainment, esports, because we've got a heavy Overwatch League now in DC. <laughs> so we really have our hand in a lot of different things at the moment. And even with the pandemic that's going on, we're still trying to remain as productive as possible. So that's a good thing. Yeah, that's always a good thing. You gotta find ways to keep yourself sane during this very weird time that we're living in right now. Yeah. So, now we've gotten the introductions out of the way, let's jump right in 
to the rise of non-comedic adult animation. So, for this topic, I wanted to talk about the white paper from John Evershed. And for those of you who don't know, uh, John Evershed is the former CEO of Mondo Media, the studio behind cartoons like Happy Tree Friends, Last Man, and so many others. And now he's the head of High Concentrate, which is a company that specializes in the packaging development and sale of animated series and movies for adult audiences. And so I wanted to talk about the fact that there's been a resurgence or not a resurgence, but a, an explosion of adult animation. That's not just comedy because before, I guess before the mid 2010s, um, or the mid to late 2010s, because that's when this all started. Um, the bulk of adult animation would be comedic, whether it's like the Fox cartoons, like The Simpsons, Family Guy, Futurama, American Dad, or whatever was showing on Adult Swim at the time. But now we're getting, we're getting more. We're getting yeah, more sure. action. Yeah, we're getting diverse genres. Thank you. <laughs> we're getting diverse genres of animation. Um, so we're getting more serious animation like Castlevania on Netflix. We have Samurai Jack season five on Adult Swim and, and things like that. So I wanted to talk about or I wanted to give my opinion on why this is finally starting to happen. And I think it's because the kids who grew up in the, in the nineties and, and the two thousands are finally adults now. And I think Hollywood is starting to realize that we want like content to start growing up with us. And yeah, that caters along with it. Yeah, and caters to exactly, a specific audience. Exactly. And while it seems like kids nowadays favor more comedic mm-hmm. animation, it definitely created a hole where there wasn't any action animation for a while. But then, um, like with Netflix and Adult Swim, like they had started exploring by action animation. And I think we were just hitting the tip of the iceberg with that kind of content. And I'm really excited for what the future holds. Um, and so even in the white papers, um, John Evershed, or he would say that, that, um, that while like, while kids these days have been um, accustomed to comedies, like adults, um, just wanted more diverse genres of animation. And, um, and so like, what are your thoughts on this? I, um, love the idea that it's catering more to a more diverse genre than just 
leaning less. I won't say it's not still comedy because there are still good comedies, but at least they're trying to branch out. Because like you were saying, the 90s kids, and we're a part of that, have grown up now. So being able to see series, especially Castlevania, because Castlevania was a game before it became a series, actually get adapted into a TV series is a really exciting time. And, like, one of the points where you talk about the kids have gotten used to um, more comedy, I'm going to give you an example. I'm not really fond of this series, but I know a lot of kids and a lot of my younger cousins like it. Um, Teen Titans Go. Like, they swear up and down about it. I get that it's supposed to be more towards the kids and everything, but I'll always lean towards the original Teen Titans that was actually out in the 2000s that was, again, yep. more action-based, um, yep. Young Justice. Like, we were raised off of X-Men and Spider-Man yep. and X-Men Evolution. Like, those were action-packed things, not comedic. Like, you had The Simpsons and stuff like that, and Family Guy and stuff was cool, but those things never really stuck with me or gravitated as much as the action-based things were. Like, it was action-based, but then you were learning lessons along the way. So I really, really approve that we're branching out from just the mainstream comedic. Like, Simpsons has had its success and is continuing to do its thing, but being able to see more diversity is going to encourage more growth and more opportunities overall, rather than it just being stagnant. I agree, and I think um, there have also, or with the change in genres of animation, I think we're also starting to see animation that appeals to different audiences or different segments within, um, or different adults. So, like, we would have, for example... We have, like, we have, I'm sorry, I, (laughs) um, so, for example, we have, um, shows that appeal to, like, LGBTQ communities, um, we have shows that are starting to be catered to African-American audiences, and we have, um, shows that are being catered to, um, Latinx audiences and so on and so forth and so i'm really glad that you know the globalization of animation and streaming and all of these things have contributed to um there being a more diverse set of um shows that we can all enjoy mm-hmm. all right and so i wanted to talk about which companies are actually, or that I think are leading the charge on this. And that would be Netflix, mm-hmm. of course, and Warner Media. And I'll go into the series that both are producing, but Netflix, or so Netflix, they have Castlevania, um, which, you know, has been very successful. It's, such a great show. Um, it's probably one of their best Netflix animated series um, that they have on there right now. 
Um, and then they have Seis Manos, which is an original property um, that was co-developed with Viz Media. Um, and, and that one is not as good as Castlevania, but I still enjoyed watching it. Um, right. Just because, like, or I guess because of how the vibe of it is, it's kind of like a, those like 70s or 80s um, kung fu movies mixed with like Hispanic or Mexican culture because it takes place in Mexico. And so, and plus also, you know, Western um, animation, like we were just, or I've been starved for it for a while. So anything was, <laughs> anything was welcome in my book. Um, and so I really latched on to say uh, Smanos. But yeah, shout out to Powerhouse Animation that uh, produced both of those series, um, Castlevania and Seis Manos. Um, I think they're doing a really good job, um, and they should definitely keep it up. Um, and they, I believe they have even more series uh, slated for Netflix down the pipeline. And so next I wanted to talk about Warner Media, which has you know, many different sub-brands within it, like Adult Swim, Crunchyroll, Verve, HBO Max, and DC Universe. Like, all of those brands have some sort of animation associated with it. And so, like, with Adult Swim, you have Samurai Jack, Season 5. Um, we have Primal. Um, which, if you didn't catch the April Fool's joke on Adult Swim this year, they surprise premiered a new episode of Primal, which was episode six. And so if you missed that, you're probably not going to get a chance to see it until the fall when it actually comes out. So, um, sorry. <laughs> um, but then we have... Crunchyroll, which in February, I believe, in late February, they announced their originals slate. And two of the series that caught my eye were Onyx Equinox and Freak Angels because they're both Crunchyroll Studios produced. So they're, or since they're a Western studio, um, like that caught my eye, like, I know anime exists, um, and I'm nothing against the anime. Like, I love anime as much as the next person, but, you know, since there is, since action is very well represented in anime, I would rather, I'd rather keep anime out of the conversation because we already know it exists. Um, and, and then we have DC Universe, which has Young Justice and Harley Quinn. And Young Justice, while I haven't seen the new seasons yet because I'm waiting on HBO Max to come out so I can watch all of my Warner Media content like Harley Quinn, Young Justice, and then the HBO show Watchmen. Um, so I'm waiting on that to come out before I take the plunge. DC Universe, I think, 
I'm not sure what the future of DC Universe is, considering that HBO is coming out very soon. Like, I think next month, May 2020 is when it comes out. So we'll see what the future holds for DC Universe. But I do hope that they continue putting out um, some animated um, series and movies because they've been doing some good animated movies, too. And they've been pretty consistent with it over the years. So I hope they keep that up. And yeah, um, I think that's it. Um, like, what do you think about, or do you think that there are any other companies that are leading the charge um, in adult animation? Or do you think that, do you think that Netflix and other media are just like the main two? Like, what are your thoughts on that? They're pretty much the main two at the moment that I've seen. And, of course, you had the standards of Fox. And um, Adult Swim still rocks a lot of adult animated series as well. Because, like, we were talking about from last year, 2019, both that Horseman and Rick and Morty series like that, that kind of diversified that it's not just the comedic stuff but has more serious or dark undertones to it so it's right. not just all ha 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 like flat humor or over the top but right it actually gets into it um one of my old favorite series archer and um what's the other one that i like um venture brothers those are ones mm-hmm. that we've had on adult swim so well, Archer, I believe, is on FXX. Yeah, it's on FXX, which, oh, okay. yeah, um, which is, I mean, it's still going on and it's going to be in its 11th season, which I believe got delayed because of COVID-19, but, um, yeah, hard to believe that. Archer is now airing, uh, well, I mean, it's been on FXX, but it's hard to believe that Archer is now owned by Disney of all companies. <laughs> it's kind of wild, um, but it is what it is. That's the timeline we live in. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, um, I think that actually... I wanted to talk about where do you think we go from from here? Like, where do you think that or we're going to see adult animation headed in the next few years? Um, For me, where I see it heading in the next couple of years, we kind of are already getting on the right track with the diversity and so many different companies trying to bring it out there. I actually like that that's happening right now. But what's going to happen and what I'm hoping, or rather what I'm hoping is not going to happen is the anime syndrome, I call it, with things that's like you have like, oh, there's anime out there. But then it's like, oh, there's anime out there. And it'd be a lot of the same things. But we have a wealth of material to kind of dig in and touch on, at least not in the comedic genre. And see, what I want to focus on, what I want to see is, again, 
more diversity. We're digging into that now and we want to have like a wealth of things, but we don't want to be stagnated. And so I definitely see Netflix. Netflix is already taking the charge because they do a lot of independent things like on their own that they're making. And I'm like, wow. Like I didn't realize just how much Netflix made. And so, yeah, adult animation is definitely going to be one of the go-to things. It already is one of the go-to things, but even more so in the next couple of years. So now it's just the innovation and where it's going to go, but the challenge is going to be, and one of the things I appreciate from the white paper is really trying to get that talent that's going to be able to voice all this material because, again, yeah. you'll have the anime syndrome situation where you get the same voice actor for these characters. Yeah. And it's like, it's nice and all, we have it, but we don't want to have all the same voice actors, even though I don't mind it. If they're talented and they're good at it, go for it. But right. at the same time, you want to have the talent that's going to meet the need. So it's right. got to be a balance there. So that's, that's something we have to think about. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, as the shows get more diverse, hopefully the voice acting talent pool and just the behind the scenes talent pool in general gets more diverse. And if that does happen, you know, it's, um, we're all the better for it. <laughs> um, so yeah. And where I think that adult animation is going, um, in the next few years, um, maybe not like in the next five years, I would want to say in the next 10 years, if we're all still alive by then, um, <laughs> in the next 10 years, I think that we'll start to see like, um, adult animation start to come into theaters if those are still operational by then, but <laughs> If, like, we'll start to see more adult animated movies um, rather than just uh, TV shows. Um, and I think that will be, you know, very, that will be a very interesting, that will be very interesting to see that form in it. Like, for sure. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, which companies are going to be leading the charge. I mean, we're already starting to see that a little bit now. Like, for example, Bob's Burgers um, is getting its own theatrical movie that's going to be released by Disney next year, thanks to COVID-19. Um, and which I, like, I still can't believe Bob's Burgers got an animated movie or a theatrical movie before Family Guy like that. Yeah, because so Family Guy definitely has a longer track record. I've heard exactly. some people don't like Bob's Burgers too much. I love Bob's Burgers. That's just me. But uh, I, I, so, I can't. I can't get into it like that. The comedy is just too dry for me or the humor. It's just too dry for me. I, I just can't do it. Like, <laughs> I can't do it. Um, I got you. And most of the voices, um, except for Bob's, are, like, very annoying. Like, I can't, <laughs> can't listen to them for long periods of time. I just can't do it. Like, no. I got you. No. I got you. I'm there for 
the um the characters really for Tina because Tina's freaking ridiculous, but um, <laughs> I yeah I'm really there for Tina and just some of the character dynamics. I get you on the annoying voices and stuff. I, yeah, I watch it kind of on and off. Family Guy definitely should have gotten a movie before them for sure, and it definitely has. And I feel like Family Guy just has more of a um appeal across the board for a lot of audiences so right Um, but I mean maybe not now because you know the show has just lost its it's lost its luster Uh, yeah yeah, it's lost its like if they had started producing that after the Simpsons movie like right after the Simpsons movie came out I think that would have been like way better um I think it would have actually had a chance but um but now it's just too late I think I think Fox should you know just pull the plug on Family Guy and the Simpsons too um but that's just me and so yeah um that's going to do it for this topic Up next, we'll begin part one of the PS5 versus Xbox Series X series. And then after that, we will get into animation's role in the streaming wars. The Cells and Circuits podcast will return in a moment. Welcome back. And now, um, Michael and I are going to be talking about PS5 versus Xbox Series X. And so, with PS5, what we know so far are the specs, the controller, and the games. But with Xbox Series X, what we know so far are the specs, the controller, the appearance of the console, and the games. The only things we don't know for the PS5 are the appearance and the price. And the only thing we don't know for the Xbox Series X is the price. So, so I wanted to get through these talking points. Um, and so for PS5, uh, or for the specs, it looks like they're very similar across they, both. Uh, even though Xbox Series X is going to edge out the PS5 a little bit um, in terms of performance. But, um, I mean, it seems like the performance is going to be very similar across both. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll leave links to where you can find the specs in the show notes. And, and so the controller for the PS5, which was just announced earlier this week at the time of this recording. The controller for the PS5 had some pretty mixed reviews, but to be honest, I don't mind that color scheme. Like, it's different, but I like it. I mean, like, it weirded me out at first, but then as I started to, like, look at it more, I'll I kind of appreciate it, um, and I think it's a bit more forward-thinking than um, Xboxes, which is basically just an Xbox One same controller. Old, same old. 
Um, which, you know, nothing wrong with that, but when you compare it to the PS5, it definitely seems like Microsoft took the if it ain't broke, don't fix it approach. So, so yeah, the controllers, you know, that'll be, that'll be pretty interesting, um, to see. And I'll eventually get both of them. I probably won't get both consoles until like maybe two, three years down, uh, line. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Um, and then the games for both. So for PS5, we don't really have that many games that have been announced. I know that Godfall was announced at the Game Awards last year, um, right. but I think that's pretty much been it, um, if I'm not mistaken. They let... might. So I've looked at a couple of them. they talking about that they may have Cyberpunk. 2077 on there. Oh, right. um, yeah. Starfield yeah. would be nice. I'm kind of excited for Starfield because I'm an RPG connoisseur at heart. Like, I'm not a FPS person, but RPGs are like my go to. And this is going to be an RPG in space. So I'm kind of excited about that. So we that, see how that's going to go. Yeah. Um, and it's supposed to have backwards compatibility with PS4 games, so that's reassuring as well. Yeah, that's that's good because Sony they definitely didn't do uh, backwards compatibility this generation, um, or they missed out on that train. Um, but then Xbox, you know, basically embraced backwards compatibility fully. Um, with Xbox One um, being able to play Xbox 360 and select original Xbox games. And and I'm glad you said that the PS5 um, was going to support PS4 games um, because I wanted to also talk about Xbox's implementation. So the Xbox Series X is going to support Xbox One games, Xbox 360 games and the select original Xbox games that work with Xbox One. So um, Xbox Series X definitely edges out the PS5 in the backwards compatibility arena. And so you'll be able to play just more games on Xbox Series X than you would with PS5 without having to pay a subscription fee or something like that. Um, and for the Xbox Series X, as far as exclusive games go and multi-platform, like we have, of course, Cyberpunk 2077, but for exclusive games, we have um, Halo Infinite, I believe, um, and then Hellblade 2, but... I think those are the only ones that have been announced so far that are exclusive to Xbox Series X. But since Microsoft, you know, has a lot of studios now and they've been buying up quite a bit over the past few years, 
Um, now, I don't think exclusive games are going to be as big of a problem as they were for this generation on Xbox, because Sony definitely, it seems like Sony ran circles around Xbox for for exclusive games. I mean, they had Spider-Man, they had God of War, Horizon, like just so many good PS4 exclusive games that have come out. And then, I mean, for Xbox, you know, it's for the most part been like Halo, Gears, and Forza, pretty much. Which, I mean, you know, nothing wrong with those three franchises, but, you know, but we would have liked to see more. I'm still mad at Microsoft for not um, releasing a Banjo Kazooie game because, like the twenty, the twentieth anniversary of that franchise was like what last year, twenty eighteen, or so, and like they completely skipped out on that, and I think they only had like a a shirt in Sea of Thieves for that, which you know that's just, just like what that's just whack. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like that was whack. Like, come on, Microsoft, do better. But so that's it for games. Like I, I just you know hope that Microsoft actually comes to their senses and makes another Banjo Kazooie game. But well, only time will tell. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so for the Xbox, I want to get into the appearance of the console because. It seems like with the original Xbox, the Xbox 360, and the Xbox One, they've all just been like, you know, flat boxes. Whereas with the Series X, it looks like they're embracing like the kind of like the PC tower design for that. Um, like, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I definitely like the look of it a lot better compared to the more flat version that they've had. Because I've only actually gotten the original Xbox. I never got the 360 or Xbox One. I had a lot of friends that got Xbox because I've mainly been a Sony, Nintendo, Junkie Forever. But this console I might end up getting for sure. Definitely from the look, the library, like it's well rounded. So. Right. And I think Microsoft is doing a much better job at this console reveal than Sony has. Like Microsoft's been doing a lot of showing, whereas Sony's been doing a lot of telling. Um, <laughs> So I think with the age of the internet, you know, I think that people really appreciate, you know, being shown things more often than being told things. Um, but, but yeah, I think that the Xbox Series X, I think it looks great. You know, if I were to put it in my living room, I don't know where I'd put it because <laughs> because of how it's designed and I don't think it would fit like in my TV stand in the living room. Um so I may just have to like put it off to the side so I'm not like forced to put it behind the TV because that would suck. Um 
But yeah, uh, I think that the Xbox Series X design, I think is designed pretty well. It's got a clean look to it. Like they've definitely taken some design cues from the Xbox One X, um, which already looks pretty clean compared to the PS4 Pro, um, in my opinion. But, um, I think that's, I think Xbox definitely wins in the design area. And so, like, what are your thoughts on just like both of the consoles and like this console war? And where do you see like both companies going? So, with the way things are looking right now, I am in complete agreement with you about Xbox taking the lead at the moment. When it comes to Sony, Sony tries to always deliver with their big blockbuster titles and stuff and exclusive stuff, but I don't think that's going to be more so the um, the thing for this generation. I think the thing for this generation is going to be about the games and the connectivity and just really being able to um, make the most out of the console aside from the games like as a gamer it's about playing the games but in the generation that we're in now we don't want to just be able to play the games we want to be able to make sure that we can stream things properly that was a big thing on ps4 so making use of that more and more newer ips because while we had the tried and true thing we want to make sure that we try to branch out And at the moment, like you said, Xbox has definitely been doing more showing rather than telling. We don't want secret clandestine stuff. We want to be able to be right in the open, know what we're getting ourselves into. And Sony will probably reveal it in time, but Xbox is definitely delivering at the moment. So I'm looking forward to getting both eventually, but that's going to be down the line. But if I had to pick one to get right at this moment, Xbox would definitely be the go-to. Yeah, I I would agree with you on that. I think that um, if I were to, if I were choosing between which series to get, or which uh, console to get, excuse me, and, you know, I had to get one now, like, just because I know more of what I'm getting into, I would probably go with the Xbox Series X. Because I don't even know what the PS5 even looks like right now. So. That's, that's the thing. We don't even know the look of the console. We know the controller, but we don't know anything about yeah. the console. Right. So. Um, but there are some pretty interesting mock-ups of the PlayStation controller or the PS5 controller that have basically modded it to be like whatever um, people had wanted it to be. So I'd seen designs of like a Spider-Man version of it. I'd seen like designs of a Kingdom Hearts version or um, those would be lit because I like I would like that Spider-Man red and blue color scheme or like the Kingdom Hearts that would be lit. Well, the controller kind of already is doing Kingdom Hearts, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like I think that um, the PS5 controller is definitely going to be like the more 
or I feel like it's going to look the best with like alternate designs rather mm-hmm. than um, the Xbox Series X controller. Um, so it'll be pretty interesting to see which special editions that they do and stuff like that. But yeah, um, that's going to do it for this topic. Up next, we'll be talking about animation's role in the streaming wars. The Cells and Circuits podcast will be right back. Welcome back. And right now, we can just get right into animation's role in the streaming wars. So, um, earlier, (laughs) earlier, we were talking about how adult animation has been on the rise um, and has been breaking free of its comedy shackles. But for this topic, I just want to focus on like the overall animation's role overall, not just adult animation, but also like comedic animation, kids animation, all that, um, and anime as well in the streaming wars. So we'll go through each of the different streaming services and what they're doing in order to, or in order to have animation on their platform. And so we'll start with Netflix because that's the biggest one. Um, (laughs) So Netflix, I think they're, so Netflix has like a lot of animated series on their platform a lot of originals and I think that what they're doing is they're having a lot of unique series that appeal to different audiences. Um, so like, of course, Netflix has their original anime, which they're relying heavily on to distinguish themselves against their competitors. And they've, and in the previous episode of the podcast, I had talked about how they were even contributing to the anime industry. And so I'll leave a link to the previous episode in the show notes. But they also have animated series that appeal to, um, like LGBTQ audiences, kids, women, um, African Americans. Latinx audiences and just so many others like they um, it's not just that they have animated series that appeal to everyone which they certainly do but they also have ones that appeal to specific audiences and I think that's a very I think that's the way to go about it um, because I believe that that just creates more of an opportunity to see other people's perspective rather than, you know, just get a, like a one size fits all approach. Mm-hmm. Like you're only going to get the actiony stuff and that's it. Like I'm currently watching two different series on Netflix right now. Again, Netflix original. Um, it's right. one that's called Force the Piano because aside from the RPGs and the action stuff, 
I'm really mm-hmm. big on the music. And so having anime that cater to a more musical audience or ones that are really heavy into music is nice. And then again, going back to the action stuff, they had this other series called Seven Seeds that I'm looking at. That's pretty mm-hmm. cool. That's all about survival of the fittest and stuff like that. So it really balances. So you're able to get a flavor of whatever. And then you had the Marvel stuff. And then you had shows like Big Mouth, which is really over the top. And <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's a lot. So whatever your um, fancy is, Netflix definitely has it for you. And that's what I appreciate. It's not just one set of things, but you got a plethora of different things to whet your appetite so Netflix yeah. is doing an excellent job yeah I agree so um, I think they should definitely keep it up this podcast is not sponsored by Netflix by the way um, <laughs> <laughs> I should probably nice, mention though. that it would be very nice, but, it would be very nice. Um, but I should probably mention that it's not sponsored by Netflix But yeah, I think that Netflix is doing a good job as well. And I think they should, you know, keep up the good work. And so next I want to talk about Amazon Prime Video. And Amazon Prime, they mainly have, you know, some kids animation. And they have subtitled exclusive anime, um, which I can complain about later. But um they're starting to dabble into adult cartoons. I believe they have one from the Walking Dead creator that's coming out down the pipeline. But yeah, um I think that Amazon could definitely I think they should definitely have more of a Netflix approach um to animation and except for anime. I think that, you know, um, because Amazon simulcasts, um, unlike Netflix, like that's, if I had to knock Netflix, like that would probably be the one thing I would knock them for is, is their inability to simulcast anime outside of Japan. And that's why you have the whole Netflix scale, uh, term in the animation community. But yeah, uh, Amazon, I think that they're doing a, or they're trying to find their, their identity within the animation, um, community. And I think that, um, they could do a better job with the, uh, distribution of anime. I think while they're simulcasting and that's great, I think that providing dubbed options of that anime or of the anime that they have exclusively. I think that would really, you know, attract more audiences to the platform. Um, Cause don't nobody want to read. Like not all of us want to read, um, but like, and Amazon has some pretty great anime on it too. Like, especially last year, they had some pretty good ones. Like, they had Dororo, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, they had Vinland Saga, 
um, which was very good as well. And they had their, I guess, their first branded original anime, Blade of the Immortal, which I think was like the third adaptation of that manga or something, something like that. Either the second or third adaptation of that manga. Um, but, but yeah, I like to see English dubs of like all of them, um, because like, and even like maybe even physical releases, um, which, uh, I would like to own Dororo for myself, like, cause I think that was, that was an anime that really resonated with me. Um, and like the fact that I can't own it, you know, to keep it forever, um, you know, <laughs> it's pretty sad, but. Um, it'll still be available on Amazon for streaming for who knows how long. And that's something that, you know, I, I could mostly knock Netflix for too, um, in regards to anime. Um, because like they've only had like a few of their anime or animated series, um, basically like on Blu-ray and stuff like that. So, and then, like, with adult cartoons, I'm hoping that the one that they have from um, the Walking Dead creator, well, so Amazon can further expand into adult animation. Um, but what are your thoughts on, like, how Amazon is approaching animation on their service? Um, the fact that they're trying to dabble into it more is reassuring. Like, the fact that it's primarily focused on the kids' animation and just subs and no dubs is kind of discouraging. But they're trying to put forth an effort. And I always say at least you get an A for effort when you try to do things. So I'm looking forward to them branching out as we talked about, especially with so many upcoming titles to look forward to, that they try to hop on those opportunities as soon as they can. Because it'll lead to more success in the long run. Because I got to actually renew my Amazon Prime membership because I let it drop for a minute, but I got to get back on that again, especially if they get on the animation stuff more. So, yeah, and I mean, I just want to talk about how they approach anime a little bit more, um, because um, a few years ago, I remember Amazon having their, like, service within a service called Anime Strike, um, which a lot of people didn't like because it was a second paywall within Amazon just to access their anime which I think, like... It's ugly. Yeah, it was... Yeah, that was really bad. So, like, I think that they lost a lot of um, goodwill on their part in the anime community, and it's really hurt them, or at least the audiences of shows that, you know, they would have checked out if Amazon hadn't had Amazon... or Anime Strike during the mid-2010s. Um, 
like there probably would have been more people watching uh, Dororo or more people watching Blade of the Immortal because I haven't I haven't seen anyone talk about Blade of the Immortal, but it was it's a pretty good like it's a pretty good um, anime on Amazon, so like I would recommend checking it out, um, but. I don't think a lot of people watched it because it was on Amazon. So um, I think Amazon also has some goodwill to um, restore to its um, subscribers. And so, yeah. Um, and so next we're going to talk about Disney Plus. And so Disney Plus you know, of course, being branded with the Disney name um, is primarily focused on kids and family animation with The Simpsons being its, you know, flagship show and its only adult animated cartoon. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Um, So... The problem with Disney Plus, I think, is I think there's not enough animation that's being developed for Disney Plus. I think most of the content that is is live action, and right. nothing and wrong. Riding on live action and nostalgia trip, and it's like that's only gonna last you so long. Right, and you know nothing wrong with with that. Um, it's just, it's just that, you know, for a company that was founded on animation, like you would think that they more of a focus on animation, but, you know, I guess in an alternate world where Disney didn't own things like Marvel and Star Wars and things like that, you know, maybe they would have put more of a focus on on animation, but I think that because Marvel and Star Wars are are just franchises that print money for Disney, I think they just uh-huh. you know heavily focus on those, um, which I mean isn't a bad strategy, but you know. It just leaves a lot to be desired for um, for animation. Um, and what are your thoughts on how Disney Plus is um, approaching animation? It needs more. That's for sure. Like you kind of summed it up. Like even though we have like the old school stuff and the live action shows, which don't get me wrong, Disney Channel was lit back in the day. And you watched the <laughs> Disney Channel movies and stuff like it was pretty lit back then. But right, Disney thrives off of innovation. Like that, that was kind of its thing. Like you look at the behind the scenes of a lot of the older, even animated movies of the classic books Jungle Book and Snow White all of those and Walt himself the question that a legacy like Disney should always think about is if what was still alive or what was still having his hand in the company how would he approach all of this and are we living up to that and so even though it's good you could be comfortable with the Marvel stuff and 
all the little things that you're doing with that. It's like y'all could do more because y'all definitely want to like the heads. And I just, I expect more for them being the powerhouse that they are. It's like, don't rest on your laurels because Netflix can come up and snatch it from you. That's, that's just something to keep in mind. It's a lot of different things that can try to snatch it, but right. don't rest on your laurels. That's, that's my piece on Disney Plus. Like, it's nice, but it could be a whole lot more. Yeah, I think that Disney could definitely focus a bit more on animation. Um, like, especially since they've had, and they have, like, even existing IP that they could, you know, develop cartoons for, or they could just develop new cartoons. But, I mean, so far, all we have down the pipeline that I know of for Disney Plus is the Marvel What If series, the Proud Family reboot, and then... Um, Which I think there's interesting because I like the Proud Family, but don't again, yeah don't rest on nostalgia. Like bring fresh material, but I think that's not just a Disney problem. That's just a thing across the board. And then I've heard yeah. um, apparently they're changing. Uh, why can I not think of the name of the movie right now? Um, Artemis Fowl or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's supposed to be coming to Disney Plus now because yeah. it was supposed to be in theaters. But now yeah. it's going to become a series. So I'm kind of interested in how that's going to go. But again, that's not going to be an anime series. That's going to be live action. So yeah. again, we need some animation. So. Yeah, and I think the last thing that I wanted to say was um, that they also have like a Phineas and Ferb movie that's going to be coming to Disney Plus and so yeah like that's a pretty small catalog of like upcoming um, series for Disney Plus so I think they could definitely expand on that Uh, I think that they should develop more animated series um and they have the talent to do it you know they it's just a matter of whether they want to or not at this point right all right um so next up we're going to talk about hulu and how it's approaching animation and so hulu has been um They have, like, their own originals. They have their kids and adult cartoons. But they've been, they've been losing quite a few, or they've been losing some content too. Um, like, they're gonna be losing South Park to HBO Max when that comes out next month. Um, they're going to be losing a lot of the Adult Swim content. Because that's also going to be moving to HBO Max. Um, but, but because Hulu is fully operated by Disney now, they are having two Marvel animated cartoons. Like they have Hitmonkey and Modoc. Both of those will be coming to Hulu. 
And then they also have shows like Solar Opposites, um, which is from one of the creators of Rick and Morty. And, and they have, you know, a few other animated series down the pipeline for both kids and adults. So I think that, I think that Hulu is, it's kind of on the right path. Um, I think they should, you know, explore some non-comedic adult animation because all of the adult animation, um, it seems like, um, is comedy. And so I think that they could explore a more serious tone, um, animated series. And I want to know, like, what, what you think of Hulu's approach. So with this streaming service, I, I was kind of on and off of Hulu, so I don't know much about it myself. Mm-hmm. Aside from, as you were saying, um, with the series that they're trying to work with now, but um, again, more right now, especially with the upheaval of animation, more is the way to go for just trying to cater to different audiences and to break in money for streaming because if you want to want people to get into your streaming service, you got to actually have the options there to do it. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, And I think Hulu could, um, like, they're on the right path. I think they are definitely doing more than uh, Disney Plus. But, I mean, Disney Plus, like, because they can't have adult animated cartoons on their site outside of the Simpsons just by virtue of it being Disney and, or being branded with the Disney name. Um, right. I think yeah. um, most or all of the uh, adult animated shows that are owned by Disney are going to Hulu to try and fill in that gap. But but yeah, I think Hulu is on the right path, and they also, or Hulu also uh, licenses anime from, you know, uh, from other distributors like Funimation and um, Viz Media and so on. Um, and so I think they'll um, continue um, just getting shows from from there as well, um, even though they won't be exclusive to Hulu, but um, uh, like the more options people have, you know, the better. And so um, next up, I want to talk about Quibi, which had just launched earlier this week at the time of the recording of this episode. And Quibi, it just, er, since it just launched you know there aren't any i don't think there are any animated shows on quibi right now but they do plan on having some um kids and adult animated shows like for example um they have trill league um coming up down the pipeline yeah um which was i think it was like a a comic Yes, that was so, a comic, really cool comic. 
So that's interesting to know that they're that out. That's neat. Yeah, and so um, that's something I'm excited for. Or that's the only Quibi um, animated series that I'm excited for. And so, right. So until we know more, we just gotta show that one and look forward yeah. to talking about it on a later episode. Yep, I agree. And then we have HBO Max, and that's going to be coming out May 2020. Um, so next month at the time of this recording. Um, and they have a pretty, or all, out of all of them, I think HBO Max is second to Netflix in having the biggest investment in animation um, because they have the libraries of Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, Boomerang. Um, they have... Crunchyroll will have a dedicated section on HBO Max. And then you have the Studio Ghibli movies that'll be exclusively streaming on HBO Max here in the U.S. And then you also have like the DC stuff um, because they are Warner Media owns that as well. Um, and so there, there will be a lot of animated content on HBO Max. And um, they even have some animated um, content that's um, coming down the pipeline, um, mostly from Cartoon Network Studios. Um, I think they have, like, Tig and Seek and the Fungies um, that are coming from Cartoon Network Studios which are both targeted towards kids. And then they also have Close Enough, which was originally supposed to be on TBS, and it was from the creator of Regular Show. Um, and so I think that HBO Max is definitely going to be close to Netflix as, like, the destinations for if you're an animation fan, like, it would be either Netflix or HBO Max. That would probably be the way to go um, for animation fans. I think most of them will have either of those subscriptions. And so, like, what are your thoughts on HBO Max and um, how it's approaching animation? I think they're doing an outstanding job. Definitely getting an HBO Max subscription for sure especially with the plethora of stuff that they have to offer especially especially the Studio Ghibli films because I love Studio Ghibli I love the fact that they're still catering to the nostalgia and the classics but knowing how HBO is and knowing how HBO is an entertainment powerhouse HBO has been a powerhouse for entertainment not even just for animation but just other live action stuff across the board so HBO has had a record of trying to deliver high quality entertainment to those that consume it so I really like that they're going to be giving Netflix a run for their money and I feel like that competition is going to push some innovation to happen so right. on their part to get those catalogs and to diversify 
Yeah, I agree. And hopefully the competition between Netflix and HBO Max um, inspires others to get on that train. Um, and yeah, I, I fully agree with that. Um, and so um, next up, we're going to be talking about Peacock. Um, Peacock is... Yeah. <laughs> so Peacock which is owned by NBC Universal. It's going to have kids animation from DreamWorks because NBC Universal owns that studio now. And then as far as adult animation, it's only limited to comedy for now. And I think that's mainly like the story of Peacock in general because most of the shows, not even just animated, but live action as well, have been like comedies. Um, and so I think Peacock is basically kind the of, comedy hub of the yeah. Yeah. Like it's basically CISO 2.0. And so if you don't remember CISO, it was also a streaming service that NBC universal owned back in the mid 2010s that, um, primarily focused on comedy. And so, like, um, Peacock is basically a bigger version of that for now. Um, and so, um, as someone who enjoys more serious fare, I'm probably not going, to, or I'm not in a hurry to subscribe uh, to Peacock at all. Um, I'm probably not going to subscribe to it anytime soon until that changes. So, like, um, what are your thoughts on on Peacock? It's a hard pass for me, especially since they're limiting their animation to the comedy. Now, while DreamWorks is an amazing animation company and stuff, I just, I don't see me subscribing or paying money for, again, limiting genre because we're in 2020. We're about innovation, growth. We don't want all one genre of something. We want to have options and we want them to be accessible and if we're going to only limit it to one type of audience you're not going to get a lot of people there like that's just plain and simple that's just what it is yeah even the name kind of gives it away (laughs) (laughs) well well i mean like peacock is like you know how the nbc logo is a peacock like yeah, that's why they that's why they, that, call it that. that's why they call it Peacock, not like you know NBC Plus or NBC Max or anything like that. And so you know, I think it's like I think it's creative, it's even different. if even if it's a bit humorous. Um, I do think it is um, a creative name, um, not just you know relying on like Plus or or Max like. As an add-on to an existing brand. Right. Yeah, so... It's different for sure, but I need some different content. So different names need to have different content as well. Not all the same content. 
So that's that's all I got to say for Peacock. But hopefully they come through. Maybe they'll be the black horse later on. We shall see. Yeah, I do hope that they, you know, I do hope that just NBC Universal in general just just steps out of their comedy comfort zone and expands into more serious fare, especially in the animation department, um, because I think it's an investment that could really pay off for Peacock and NBC Universal in general. Mm-hmm. And so, last but not least, I want to talk about the streaming service that I can't access because I have an Android phone, and that is Apple TV Plus. And so, Apple TV Plus, they're like one of the new kids on the block, Quibi. But Apple TV Plus, I think the main problem with it was, or at launch, was that it didn't have like a huge back catalog because Apple is pretty new to the entertainment industry. And so the library was and still is pretty small for for the series that they have. And so they have a small number of kids and adult animation. I think they have like that Snoopy series on there. And then they have the, what's it called? Um, they have the show Central Park that's coming down the pipeline, but yeah, it's pretty much, or that's pretty much it. Um, I don't see any, any like more serious animated fare on Apple TV Plus. Um, I think they're trying to fill the void that HBO is starting to leave behind because of HBO Max and I think they're more trying to focus on prestigious content um, and more like, which is mostly going to be live action. So I don't expect there to be a whole lot of animation on Apple TV Plus. But um, what do you think about that since you can actually access it? (laughs) So... Even though I can access it, if it doesn't have stuff that caters to me, which I am a heavy, 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 heavy animation person, I think I'm going to take a hard pass on that until I see things that really going to catch my attention. I'm looking at some of the things that's in the catalog now, and aside from Central Park, that's about it. Like, that's the only thing that I see that would catch my attention. Like, everything else is kind of just there. <laughs> that's about yeah. it. Like, oh, and they got helpsters from the makers of Sesame Street, but I'm kind of on that. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's the kids. Yeah, it seems like a kid's show. Like so. Yeah, so. Mm. Until I see some more stuff, like, I'm going to wait on that. Even though I can't access it, but yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I can't access it, so even if I wanted to see some shows on there, I can't. Um, <laughs> so, like, I'll just be on the outside looking in. And. On that note, 
Um, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining me on this episode um, and spending time to talk about animation and tech and video games and things like that. And, you know, do you have any last words for our listeners? Um, I really enjoyed um you having me and definitely expect me to come back. Like, I really enjoyed working with you and hopefully to all our sales and circus listeners to be on the lookout and diversify your library when it comes to animation, really to anything, whether it be animation, right. music, your life. Like, this right. is the takeaway to be expansive not constricting. That's my final thought. Alright. Alright. Thank you, Mike. That was that was a very good message. And one last thing I wanna say um before we end our our conversation is I know things are tough right now and that you know quarantine may be getting to us, but if we all do our part, we can all get through this together. And so I hope you're staying at home, staying safe, washing your hands, not touching your face, and following all of the CDC and WHO guidelines. And, you know, the sooner we all follow that, the better. Uh, the better, and the sooner we can all go back outside again. Right, and not be trapped inside, even though I find it, it's a sad situation and crazy situation, but I've always been kind of a homebody in a sense anyway, so it's like, it's affecting my stuff, but then it's not affecting my stuff too much. I just wish that I could go out and eat Korean barbecue and do certain <laughs> things with people that I can't do right now. But it's okay because it's coming back. But um, yes, yeah. everybody, make sure you stay inside unless you're an essential worker and have to go to work and stuff. And for fellow essential workers like me, I appreciate your services. Keep fighting the fight because we're going to get through it. Yeah. And I will leave it on that. Thank you, Mike, so much for this collaboration. Hopefully it will be the first of many. And I will talk to you when we have our next episode. Sounds like a plan, bro. All right. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Peace. All right. Peace. Thank you.